So here's something edgy. Your employer announces that they're concerned about the rising cost of health insurance premiums for the company and for employees. And one way they'd like to address the cost issue for everyone affected is by helping staff lead healthier lives and better manage illness and chronic conditions. Do you, thinking as an employee, trust the intentions? Is it an unwarranted intrusion or maybe not. What if it turns out that there's a lot to the offer, including a level of interest and care and coordination that's been missing in your life or for family members as you and they move in and out of the healthcare system? Now that starts to get your attention. And rightly so, say a growing number of experts, some of whom also say it's high time that those who deliver health care, those who pay for health care, and those who use health care, which is pretty much all of us, get on the same page. And if you're an employer... And even better, a hospital or health system employer, what better place to start changing the dynamics and forging trusting partnerships than with your own workforce? It's actually possible, as we're going to learn on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. As you may know, we're offered bi-weekly and also for your later listening and convenience. You can find us on IHI.org or on iTunes in the archived fashion. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. When you think about it, it's a pretty powerful message when a major healthcare system says we want to be part of the solution of reducing healthcare costs. Not only that, but we want to examine what's going on with our own workforces so we can truly learn how to help make all our patients and our communities healthier. So let me now introduce our guests and a reminder, they do have longer bios and all all sorts of accolades and achievements uh, that are both on our WIHI web pages as well as their own organization's websites. Um, starting off, Randy Van Stratton is Vice President of Business and Personal Health Solutions at Bell & Health, based in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I'm going to leave it to him to explain how the Bell & 10K also fits into his biography. Welcome, Randy. Good to be here. Fantastic. Javier Sevilla is a pediatrician and the Vice President for Clinical Quality at Catholic Health Initiatives in Denver, Colorado. He's been at CHA less than a year, but clearly arrived at an exciting time, and he's going to explain why. Welcome, Javier. Hi, and I'm uh, very, very excited to be on this program. Terrific. All right. A big applause. Clap for IHI's Lindsay Martin, who's here with me in the studio, who's been helping me with this WIHI pretty much every inch of the way. Lindsay is an executive director and improvement advisor at IHI focused on innovation and research and development. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks, Madge. And a big welcome as well to IHI's new senior vice president, Trissa Torres, overseeing all manner of IHI's work across the continuum of care. Trissa spent 18 years at the Genesis Health System in Michigan before joining IHI in the beginning of January. Welcome, Trissa. Hello, everyone. Thank you. All right. Uh, a reminder, we've got, as you can see, these nice smiling faces on the bios and these slides, and all slides can be downloaded uh, at the end of the program. You'll be prompted to do so when you log off. If you're only joining us by phone today, you can get all slides by emailing info at IHI.org. So I'm going to start off with Lindsay to help frame our conversation today. And um, Lindsay, I've been really struck. Um, maybe it was the election, the Supreme Court, uh, 
uh, certain things kind of settling down. But it seems to me it hasn't taken long for headlines about insurance uh, and who and who who has and who hasn't got insurance in this U.S. to return to headlines again about cost of health care and what are we going to do about it. So the fact that you're very engaged these days thinking about employers uh, must mean if we follow Lindsay, we can sort of follow the curve of possible ways into the future. They've got some leverage in this space that perhaps um, is something that needs to be looked at anew and differently. What is that? I think that's right, Madge. I think we are at a time where we really can start to see that there's tremendous amount to be gained by leveraging a relationship, a system view between employers, health plans, and health care providers. So because this has become more common in language and news, I think there's a tremendous opportunity to sit down and start to do some redesign together. Rather than kind of optimizing one of the lines between either an employer and their health plan or between health plans and providers, there's a tremendous amount to be gained by the three coming together and looking at their um, purchasing, at their um, incentives for employees, at the employee's role in care, and about thinking where and how people should be getting coverage. And I think in the end, if we do this well, the employee is the individual who really stands to gain. I think if we combine all components, we can start to say, that it is possible for employers to really work towards driving the triple aim of having better health, better individual experience, and lower cost. And what about the particular role uh, that healthcare organizations as employers? That's where we decided to kind of take a cut into that today. It's really interesting, Madge, to think about healthcare providers because, of course, they are employers too. They employ a tremendous amount of individuals, um, and yet they're in a, an interesting. Per- situation because they're providing care oftentimes for their employees and there's tremendous incentive to do that Um, and they're also need to think of themselves as as just the employer so healthcare organizations i think have this great opportunity to say wait a minute we could be working and taking our population as an example for how we might want to make a change that's broader, how we can test a new business model, how we can kind of learn our way into the system with a group of engaged and activated individuals who have a good knowledge of the healthcare system. All right. So I'm going to pop in. Just uh, we have uh, we don't overdo it on slides, as everyone may be familiar with on uh, WHI. We're not really PowerPoint driven, but I do like to often include certain things. John, do you want to show uh, some of these uh, graphs uh, that just I think kind of underscore uh, some of the urgency uh, around this? And I wonder maybe Lindsay, before we move on, it just it just as we set the table here, if you could just talk a little bit about kind of what what this information uh, should be communicating. Sure, absolutely. If you look at the bars, what you're seeing is kind of the um, medium family premium in different sites across the United States. We took um, a kind of looked at places where an, a, a large corporation may have different sites and so that on the bars are demonstrating the actual family premium. And on the right hand side, you'll see the median household income. Um, so that's giving you a sense of the, what, what someone in this area would be making as the median. And the dashed line is actually the average for both the family premium and the medians. So what you're seeing, if we go to the next do one, we have the other. Yep. Yes. Uh-huh. So what you're really seeing is kind of um, an 
if you adjust for that income, you see the amount of family premium that um, is, uh, the amount of median income rather that is the premium and how much of it it takes. So it's a good way of being able to say, well, are family premiums higher or lower in an area? And not just are they higher or lower, but what is that compared to the amount people make? Because when we think about it, because a lot of our insurance system is driven off of employment, premiums are actually in part compensation. And so it is really the individual who's paying for it and looking somewhere where perhaps premiums are taking up over 30% of the median income clearly is a call for action from where I stand. (laughs) (laughs) One last quick question. We're going to hear from Bellin, as uh, we've said, and also Catholic Health Initiatives. and they are going to be two really interesting examples uh, of uh, healthcare systems and organizations getting into this space of thinking of themselves as employers that can do something with their own employees as well as perhaps other organizations' employees. How much is this growing? Do you have awareness of more and more healthcare organizations starting to think about? Hopefully, there's some of them are on this program today. You know, I think healthcare organizations are. St- uh, what I'm seeing is healthcare organizations really are starting to think about what they can do to be different. Um, It actually seems to be an additional step to say, what should we be doing with our employees that would be different? So testing this notion of being, you know, thinking of ourselves as an employer. So I think some organizations are, um, but it seems like an an additional step which um, industries other than healthcare are maybe just a pinch ahead of where we are in thinking it through because of their kind of uh, processes for procurement of other services. But I do think, I think we're there, and, and I should say that there's a tremendous amount that's being done um, with businesses, with business coalitions, with health plans and other groups thinking this through um, and really trying to optimize each of those sectors. And, and what we're trying to say is if we come together and think across all of them in a system view, we may have an opportunity to go a little bit further, perhaps faster. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Lindsay Martin. Trissa, let me turn to you. Um, As we've been ginning up this program and thinking about these, you know, big plates of employers, health care, you know, health plans providers, they're big entities. And then, of course, you've got to start drilling down and think very much in terms of the particulars, who we're really talking about. And this also needs to fit, hopefully, into some sort of vision around population health. So I thought maybe you could, again, as part of framing here, um, sort of see where, where does this fit in right now in terms of goals of population health and who are all the stakeholders, really? So I think that everyone is aware that overall healthcare costs are just out of control. And so we all need to work together to figure out how to get costs under control. Um, but simultaneously, we also know that the health of our communities is not as good as it can be, um, and particularly given how much money we spend on healthcare. Um, so, so we need to be working in both of those realms. And we also are very aware, oftentimes from personal experience, that the experience of healthcare is nowhere near where it should be. And so when we put all those three together at IHI, we call that the triple aim. And we say we really need to be working simultaneously to improve the health of populations, reduce total costs of care, and improve the experience of care. 
But that's all well and good. But where do you start? And how can you take step one to do that? And so I think when we talk about this subset of people, which is an employee, I, I call it a population segment. So if we look at a whole, you know, our population as a whole, our community as a whole, we can break that down into smaller slices to begin our work. And so if we begin our work by talking about an employee segment of the population, then maybe we can start off by saying, how can we help that employee group be as healthy as they can be and manage their costs? And so then when you talk about who are the stakeholders in that, clearly the employees and their families are obviously stakeholders in that and need to be um, very much engaged in the redesign. Um, clearly the employers have stake because if they bring health care costs down, they're the ones who are saving. Um, as the provider of care, whether it's the uh, whether you're both one and the same or whether they're separate, the providers of care have a very important stake in that in a couple of ways. One is how as, as healthcare costs come down, sometimes that's a negative thing because that might actually be revenue. Um, and so then they need to really think about how can we actually optimize the flow of money so that we're providing the kinds of services that our population needs. Um, but Oftentimes it is very much of a benefit because there's so much pressure to change the way we deliver care that this provides a mechanism where there's both a disincentive but also a positive incentive to start to learn how to provide care in new models. Um, and then, of course, the insurer, um, who's obviously responsible for helping make sure that the money flows to where care needs to be provided. We often talk and hear so much about how the way things are paid for isn't aligned optimally with what people need. And so sometimes somebody needs something and the copay is too high, but maybe sometimes um, there's a mismatch. And so there's both overuse and underuse. And so getting that aligned is, is very much important. And then, of course, our stakeholder groups can go beyond that because communities as a whole then um, are, are key stakeholders in, in helping and in, in wanting us to achieve the outcome of the AAA. All right. Very, very good. Thank you so much. All right. That's Trissa. Um, all right, let me move uh, now to kind of one of uh, our strong examples, uh, which is Bellin. And I think the Bellin story, I don't know if that's coming to a theater near you just yet, but maybe it could, uh, given a decade's worth of um, stuff to talk about uh, in terms of starting with one's own employees and also then beginning to have something to offer to other uh, companies and organizations. So, Randy Van Stratton, you have the uh, difficult task of I've asked you to give the Cliff Notes version of the leverage that you decided that Bellin could have uh, as a deliverer and a provider and an employer and just about the whole ball of wax. Um, thanks and welcome to WHI. Thanks, Madge, and uh, thanks for your challenge. I've, I've really bubbled it down to four components, and uh, thanks to Kevin Nolan with IHI, too. We've been working on a project together. But really, there's four components to the work, and that is uh, it's really establishing a culture of wellness uh, and health within your organization and having direct measures and getting senior leaders involved and uh, uh, really focusing on what are the goals uh, of the organization from a cost and health perspective. And then it really starts with the second module then. So culture is your foundation, and then it really starts with uh, assessing and segmenting the pub, uh, population. You know, what are your costs? Where are your costs coming from? Where are your health? At Bellin, we started doing health risk appraisals uh, 
probably 10 plus years ago now. Um, and then we uh, understood what the risks were of our population. We also looked at our costs and segmented that out and actually put the cost together with the health risk appraisals. So we know that people that have less risk actually cost us half of what those people do with risk. So over the past years, we've worked with initiatives to move our population from being of high risk to low risk. And our statistics show we've moved from 17% high risk down to 6.5% high risk. So we're moving that population and reducing risk. Um, Other things that we found, ER visits uh, were uh, not where they should be. Um, Large claims, we dug into our large claims and found out that those claims that cost us $50,000 or more did not have preventive visits. Only 20% of those did. So things were, bad things were happening um, to individuals because they weren't getting in to see their physicians. So, uh, Point three there is really, so what did we do? We worked at engaging and activating the population, and we did this with uh, understanding our plan design elements of our health plan and the services we had available and their impact. And we really focused on three levers, and the three levers were how do we get people to participate, number one. Number two, how do we get people to focus on, on outcomes? And then three, how do we remove barriers from people getting the care that they need? And I think Lindsay touched on this. Um, so what we did was we uh, we basically adjusted our health plan where our fast care retail clinics uh, are free for our employees. And in one year, we reduced our ER visits for low-coded items by 67% in one year. And I'm real excited about our large claims this year. Well, large claims, those claims that cost us $50,000 or more, by creating avenues for people to get into primary care and incentivizing them to get their age and gender screenings met every year, we were able to take our large claim expense down 34% this year. Number of large claims overall are down 24% by the number of claims, but expenses down 34%. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and really, that's by creating value-based benefit designs. How do you remove the barriers to get people in? Well, anyone in our health system that has a chronic condition, uh, six conditions that we've identified based on our health risk appraisal, they get free primary care and labs. So there's no barriers to get in to see primary care. So they're not really worried about their copay and so so forth. Which so are forth. the six conditions? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's bad. Yeah, which are the six conditions? Yeah. yeah. Uh, obesity, smoking, hypertension, cholesterol, obesity, and I can't. I, I ran out of fingers here, Madge. <laughs> Diabetes. <laughs> Diabetes. That's what. Tris- Diabetes. You yeah. got it. Thank you. That was actually a quiz. <laughs> Jeopardy. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on yeah. the spot. I was just uh, thinking it would be interesting to know. Okay, go ahead. Sorry to break yep. your flow. Uh-huh. Well, and, and those are quite. Those are actually quite typical. Those are actually quite typical. And actually what's, what's interesting is we have now over 1,400 individuals actively enrolled and working in that plan as having free primary care visits based on those conditions. And that leads us to the fourth and last piece. That's really putting together the navigation system for the care of the population. How do you get people to the right care at the right time at the right price? 
And uh, what we've been doing is moving services on site, providing health coaching right on site at employers. You know, we did this, we started on this work 10 years ago with our employees. Now we have over 70 sites with other employers and a goal at the end of this year to complete 100 sites where we're actually on site at employers with uh, either uh, RN coaches or actually fully equipped primary care centers right on site at employers. So um, those are the four formulas that, that, that we've really bubbled this down to for success. Okay. And I just want to make sure that we show um, just some other things that you had shared. Uh, John, let's throw this one up, the health risk appraisal to cost, which I think is another interesting one. You, you started to kind of address this, but mm-hmm. obviously this is maybe people can ask a couple more questions of kind of how you begin to do these HRA uh, appraisals. Um, Sure. It's interesting. And then your 2012 results. That was another one I want to make sure, John, that we shared. Um, Yeah. Okay. Do you want to speak to that uh, any any further? Sure. If you go back to the health risk appraisal one, that's interesting because this is a differentiation, I think, with many health risk appraisals. The health risk appraisal we use totally scores based on biometric results, not how individuals uh, answer their answer their questions, but it's based on biometrics of blood work, blood pressure, height, and weight, and it bubbles up to a score of 0 to 100, 100 being very low risk. And you can see that that those people that score over 90 points uh, cost us below the $3,000 mark, yet those people that score um, under 60 are up over close to 5000 so the idea is basically how do we engage folks and get them to move to the right? And that's what we've been able to achieve with pulling the right levers and providing the right services so that uh, employees and family members uh, can do that. So in other words, an example is um, how do we get people into primary care? Well, they can get up to $300 individually, $350 individually, or $700 individually if they just, for a family plan, if they just see their primary care doctor on an annual basis and get their age and gender screenings met. So we have now, we know 70% of our population is compliant with that. Is that good enough? No. We are increasing the lever for 2014, but we're creating levers and incentives that help people do the right thing. So um, I think by driving people to primary care, getting them controlled with their chronic conditions, that has attributed to our results for 2012 of these large claims coming down Mm -hmm. significantly because we've been at this now for four years. It didn't happen in one year. We invested in this about four years ago, and now we're really starting to see some traction in the results. The other thing that's interesting is our average, we measure our average score of our entire population. Um, it averages on an average score of about 78 points, but when we look at our new employees coming in that we hire in, they're at 72 points. So we know we're hiring from a pool that is less healthy than the people that we have had working for us for multiple years. Okay, thank you very much. Randy, I probably should have asked you to say this at the beginning. I, I would imagine that most of us, the folks joining today are familiar with Bellin, but uh, just give us that uh, boilerplate of the Bellin healthcare system, uh, what it consists of. 
Okay. We've got uh, one uh, hospital, in Green, a large hospital in Green Bay, one rural hospital uh, about an hour away from us, and then we own our own primary care uh, providers. We have 30-plus uh, clinics, 100-plus providers that are employed through us, and we have some employed specialists, and we primarily work with independent specialists, along with community fitness centers that we own, uh, ambulatory surgery centers, and um, a college of nursing. Okay, very, very good. Okay, well, thank you very much. And I, it's really important to, to know all this information and the profile a bit of Bellin because I, I can imagine that there will be some who will say, well, we're not that kind of a system. Uh, we maybe don't have as many levers as we could pull uh, to kind of go about this in the same um, kind of full-court fashion. So I hope we can address some of that. And I think Javier can maybe uh, start that by telling us about Catholic Health Initiatives in Denver and how it is, Javier, that you have decided to uh, essentially uh, get on this journey that uh, Bellin perhaps started a little earlier than you. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Madge, and it's, again, great to be in this program. So just a couple of words about Catholic Health Initiatives. Uh, We're a health system based here in uh, Denver, Colorado. We have uh, approximately about uh, 80 hospitals, about 40 long-term facilities, and around 3,000 employed clinicians. Uh, we're also a, a large employer. We have about 83,000 employees throughout the system. Uh, so our burning platform for this actually came in, in threefold. Uh, so the first one was our mission. Uh, we're a mission-driven organization, and uh, our mission is to create healthier communities. And we really saw creating a, a healthier workplace and healthy employees as an extension of that uh, of that mission. Uh, so when we started doing this work, uh, one of the first things we found was that, as the saying goes, uh, 50 is the new 40. Well, with our employees, 50 is the new 58. Uh, what we found is that um, our employees were actually five and a half to eight years older clinically, if you look at their utilization and clinical data, than they were demographically. Uh, so we had higher utilization, higher healthcare costs than the uh, average employee pool. Um, so this became a, a, a big um, imperative for us to, to create, to, to help uh, employees get uh, healthier. Now, the other thing, the second uh, was about cost. As uh, uh, other folks described on this call, uh, big upward pressure in terms of cost. Our uh, human resources department uh, actually did some wonderful uh, things to keep the cost very constant for the last two or three years. But we really thought we need to do something transformational to really uh, uh, bring down these costs. And and finally, um, you know, very similar to, to, to what I talked about with our mission, uh, we want to uh, provide better care for our patients. Uh, so we took this opportunity uh, to really practice, if you like, on our employees, take this uh, defined population, our, our own employees, and really uh, become an organization that can do the triple aim. Um, we're uh, going through a lot of transformation right now from being 
being a very hospital-centric uh, organization to an organization that really uh, um, it looks at the whole continuum of care. And, and again, we really want to be uh, the experts at population health. So uh, one of the things that we saw, is we saw this wonderful opportunity with the alignment of the payment system where we could really uh, uh, get uh, very good at population health with our own employees. Um, so a couple of the things that we've done so far, uh, first of all, as I said, we, we uh, started a wellness program called Healthy, Healthy Spirit, and um, uh, this, uh, this is throughout the organization. We have also partnered with CareWise, and they do some of the lifestyle uh, changes, uh, chronic care management and, and coaching, and we also did some uh, medical plan uh, design. Uh, so as Randy said, we also removed a lot of the barriers, so we took out the the co-pays uh, for primary care um, so that uh, folks can really go to, to our primary care docs. And um and very recently, uh, just at the start of this calendar year, we actually uh, took our uh, employee population on each one of our regions and said, okay, you know, our regions, our health delivery system is now going to take care of these, uh, of our employees as an ACO. Uh, so we're, um, we started with a pilot of two regions, Iowa and Nebraska, and by uh, January of 2014, we're going to have all our regions take their own employees and, and really almost be paid like an ACO. So uh, that's kind of our, our, our journey. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, really, I, I appreciate your willing to lay this out in sort of broad strokes. We know there are a lot of details um, in all of this. And we're just about to open things up for your questions and comments. I have just uh, two uh, questions for you, Javier, before we do that. One is, what has been the employee response uh, to this uh, in terms of, you know, reaction, uh, had sort of building will about that? And uh, then I'll, I'll get your answer on that, and then I'll ask you one more question. Thanks. Great. Uh, thank you, Madge. And, and uh, I think uh, our employees have been, um, you know, very excited about this. Uh, we we still, you know, have some challenges in terms of getting every single one of our employees uh, to really participate and be engaged fully in this process. But I think the reaction from our employees have been has been uh, very positive so far. All right. Well, that's good. And then uh, a question around uh, just just to kind of get it on the table um, when we talk about this transformation to become less hospital centric excuse me more population health uh, focused uh, all these things in a way that we're discussing Trissa kind of laid out kind of these new ways of thinking about your alignment and business models really uh, as some revenues may not be there in quite the same way what's the what would you say is the big business implication for your system as uh, those discussions take place about being uh, less hospital centric. Great. Well, this is this is a, a very good question, and 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 certainly it is a question that we struggle. Uh, as all of you know, um, you know the, the the hospital is a big cost center, um, and in the past it has been a big revenue center for for our our organization and and other organizations around the country. Uh, so as we as we go forward and as we really address uh, the population. Um, health aspect, 
uh, you know, uh, things are going to change, and, and things are already changing uh, dramatically in our organization. Uh, so we we are um, uh, really trying to shift um, most of our revenue uh, from the hospital setting to the outpatient setting right now, and. Um, and, and certainly, uh, for, from our perspective, uh, I think even though we, you know, at the beginning, it's going to be a challenge in terms of, uh, you know, the, the the revenues from the hospital maybe taking a little bit of a hit. Um, I think it aligns so much better with our mission. Uh, so, you know, as I described before, our mission is to create healthier communities. You know, and this new paradigm it really aligns so much better with that. And and so I think. Uh, um, as we go forward, uh, I think uh, as an organization, I see us coalescing together and, and really uh, driving forward uh, with, with uh, much more enthusiasm uh, as, as this new era comes, uh, comes, comes upon us because it is going to be uh, what uh, this organization was designed to do in the first place. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I like about being able to capture some of this of, on WHI is we're sort of seeing it, how, how it's unfolding. Uh, Lindsay and Trissa and Randy as well, we're just about to, uh, I want to open things up now for questions or comments. Is there anything you want to just say quickly about anything that you've heard? Lindsay. Um, I just, I want to point out for organizations um, that there's probably two things that people are considering on the phone right now. One is those organizations who are large enough and are self-insured and are therefore carrying their own risk and kind of play this interesting relationship of being the insurer and for a healthcare system, the employer and the healthcare provider. So thinking that through, um, and of course they would have a third-party administrator in most cases helping them with that. Um, and then thinking through organizations who are perhaps smaller in size um, and are fully insured. And so there's a different relationship that they would then have working with their health plan to think through these pieces as well. So I think, and maybe um, everyone else on the, on the phone can comment, there's certainly different opportunities and kind of different ways to work. Um, and I think there's pros and cons of both. So just so people on the phone don't feel like there's only the only way to be able to go about this is if you're self-insured. I don't think that's the case at all. Okay. Trisha, um, anything? And yeah, I just wanted to comment, and I see that there's already a, a question related to that. Um, another aspect that has been alluded to, but it might be interesting to hear more detail from both uh, from both of our guests, has to do with creating a healthy environment. Um, as employees, we spend lots and lots of time at work, and so creating that environment in a way that that um, pro- promotes that culture of health, such as having opportunities for healthy food, opportunities for physical activity and those types of things can also be very supportive. Um, Can we uh, have our guests speak to what they've done in that situation? Okay, very, very good. Uh, Randy? You bet. Um, In fact, Madge, if you put that slide up that has our culture of health team linked up to the CEL. Okay, we'll do that. What we did was, yes, what we actually did was uh, Bellin has a lot of assets around improving health, not only for the community but for employers and for ourselves. And what we did was we assembled a team around uh, our goals of improving health, and they all contribute. So our menu was completely revamped in our cafeteria. Our vending systems were completely revamped. We have uh, uh, water stations uh, 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 in, in certain places. So um, we really worked at creating uh, uh, environment that is uh, uh, 
uh, part, uh, it, it really permeates health. Um, the other piece that you mentioned, Madge, in the introduction was our Bellin 10K run that we have. We've got an asset uh, of our 10K run now in Green Bay that has grown to over 19,000 participants in this 10K run held right in front of the hospital. And that's due to us doing uh, programming with not only our employees but with other employers um, around participating in challenges. So it's re really trying to create that culture, but it starts with the, um, uh, it really starts at the CEO level. We coordinate it through our steering committee and we get engagement from these assets of the organization. And where we're going next is uh, we're looking at uh, basically taking our HRA goals and going by segment now within our organization and having uh, uh, linked measures to a health measure in the performance measures of each of our uh, different divisions. Given that, uh, thanks Randy, given that uh, Bellin is also working with a lot of uh, other employers and taking your model and uh, with clinics, et cetera, do you see much of a distinction uh, from in, sort of in the aggregate maybe between employees in healthcare organizations and employees in other organizations in terms of what any of the issues and challenges might be? Um, well, we're, we're trying to break those barriers by actually bringing that health, bringing healthcare into those organizations. We've built clinics and parking lots of shipbuilding centers. We've even built, worked with United Healthcare to build a 6,000 square foot facility in one of their locations. So we're bringing healthcare to the workplace. Uh, what what really, though, is the key are our employers willing to pull the levers to drive, like I said, participation outcomes, and are they willing to remove those uh, barriers of care by getting uh, by from a cost perspective? Mm -hmm. So that's really the key. And, and people are, are at all different levels at that. And, and many times we work with employers on a five-year plan, basically, to get there. Okay. Somebody wants to know, and maybe I, I, I and uh, Javier, please jump in here. Uh, I know you're at an earlier stage of this, but it's very important, your voice as well. Uh, participation rates in your program for your senior leadership team uh, is being asked about. And uh, Randy, I know I kind of put you on the spot there for the six conditions, and uh, maybe we can you could type those in uh, into the chat uh, when you have a moment, uh, so to make sure somebody said they only counted five, and I just think we, 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 threw, we threw you off there. So if you want to throw those in. But uh, Javier, do you have uh, senior leaders trying to demonstrate something and show the way here? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and uh, as you said, we're you know really at the beginning of our journey. And in fact, uh, I think uh, from from what I had read from Bellin in the past, that was one of the things that I have that that, that we have talked about is that you know the the, the senior leadership really should be uh, you know right at the at the beginning of the line, um, you, you know to 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 build that culture of of um, of uh, health and, and wellness so uh, as we go forward uh, th that is one thing that, that we're gonna uh, I think uh, gently push uh, our senior leadership to really uh, be the role models of our employees okay very very good people are asking um, I'm, I'm trying to I don't entirely understand one or two questions here uh, related uh, to uh, perhaps privacy concerns um, I think it relates to culture differences Trisha, do you are you grasping kind of what somebody's asking there 
Uh, yes, well, maybe I can reframe yeah. it, and we'll see if, okay. we, if we get, it, get it right. <laughs> right. Um, certainly, I've heard of plenty of other um, employers that have kind of started and stopped employee health initiatives and oftentimes have started and stopped because they received pushback from their employees. Um, either the perception that if they filled out that health risk appraisal that the information would be used against them, that it might, infect, it might affect their employment, it might affect how their manager treats them, it might affect their, um, their actual health care costs that they might, without, not, without being told that it might be used against them. Um, and, you know, most of the examples that I'm familiar with, that wasn't the case, but there was still a perception of that or a fear of that that got in the way of successful implementation. Um, have either of you uh, have some kind of suggestions about how to overcome that particular barrier? All right, that's a good, thank you very much, Trissa. Randy? Yes, uh, you know I think it's a staged uh, it's a staged uh, integration. We started with just creating awareness, uh, inviting people in to take a health risk appraisal. Then we moved to engagement. Well, now that you we're gonna we're gonna incent you to take the HRA, uh, but then now based on your score, we're gonna incent you to do something on that. Could you do something? So it goes from awareness to engagement, and the third level is really accountability. That was the biggest step we took when we started to adjust premiums, what employees pay based on their results of their biometrics, of their health risk appraisal. So basically there's a $750 spread with how you pay for your premium, and that really helped us improve our HRA scores and got individuals' attention to really create that culture of health. Now, there was a couple questions floating around about that. How can you do that? How can you link uh, HRA biometrics to that? You can do that if you have a reasonable alternative in place. So if Randy Van Stratton, if my genetics are holding me back on improving my cholesterol scores, but I've got a plan in place with my physician, I've got a reasonable alternative that will give me this, the points back then. So that's how you do that based on a, the bona fide uh, wellness uh, um, guidelines. And you can split that up to 20%, the total value of your plan. 2013, it's going to 30%. I'm hearing 2014, you may be able to use up to 50% for tobacco utilization, too. So, thank you. So, two related questions, which is sort of, you know, building will about amongst employees who may face different uh, options in terms of and, and, and financial uh, costs uh, as a result of their health condition. So, in an employee, this is Priscilla talking, with obesity does well enough to no longer be obese, do they get removed from the program? And how do healthy employees feel about still having co-pays? And um, somebody else, Carolyn, pretty much ask the same thing. Do healthy employees resent paying for already doing what is needed to be healthy? Um, sort of those little, those questions which can definitely pull people apart rather than pulling them together. What do you think, Randy? Um, well, I, I, I think it's, again, it's creating that, that culture and we make sure that some of our benefits also impact those that are healthy. Um, so, for example, in our fitness centers, if you use the fitness center 
uh, 10 times a month, you get your money back at 100%. So we try to balance it. So not only are we helping those that need to move, but we're helping those. Because a big thing is, how do you keep people healthy? Keeping people healthy so they don't migrate in the opposite direction, because that's really where society is pulling us in certain cases. So uh, there are rewards to keep people healthy also, based on those premium and and the scoring of our health risk appraisal. And then removing barriers for those that need help. What, what? Uh, as you listen to this, um, Javier, and you have choices actually <laughs> ahead uh, in in sort of uh, as you look at other models. Uh, what what kinds of things do you think about in terms of how to make sure that um, employees sort of don't look around and sort of cast eyes at one another in some ways uh, for as feeling like somebody's being treated differently or getting something better. Um, you know, well, um, I think the, the the way that we're approaching it right now is really, um, again, our, our program. We have uh, specific points that our employees can can accrue uh, depending on 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 different activities that they do. Um, you know, uh, exercise is one of them, but uh, other things too, like uh, volunteering, for example, um, will give you points that uh, then you can use to to discount. What you pay for your uh, for, for your health plan uh, at the end of the year uh, to a ma- right now we have a maximum of three hundred dollars that you can uh, that, that you can accumulate in terms of points and you can take off your uh, your health plan. I think the um, the, the the really the key for us is going to be. Uh, you know, to to get to that emotional uh, level with with our employees, and 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 I, th- I think this goes not just for our employees but for our patients, and and really uh, strike that chord of motivation uh, that you know we can provide as much information as possible, and and certainly some carrots and some sticks, um, but it's really once we get to that uh, emotional level, you know, what really drives somebody to do a particular um, you know a particular action that I think is 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 if you like the the holy grail um, so you know so so I'm thinking you know uh, we've got to get to 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 some way of motivating folks to do this um, even if it's you know, if it's not necessarily through either financial incentives or, or financial penalties, but just hey, this is going to be best for you in the future. Um, and 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 you know, I, I think that's a challenge uh, throughout the country uh, right now. But uh, certainly, we're going to use a lot of the things that uh, Randy has mentioned today uh, as we as we go forward in our journey. Terrific. Uh, thank you, uh, Javier. Um, I thought this might be a good moment uh, to ask Trissa. Uh, we were doing a little bit of thinking around here, and I think over email as well, with many folks who are working in the space, about how do you get started? Because it's very easy, I think, in a way, to be overwhelmed with uh, either launched programs or uh, very much evolving programs, uh, such as, uh, and evolved, I should say, such as Bellens. So, uh, Trissa has some thoughts on that. We'll throw up a slide on that as well. So you want to get started. (laughs) So I think that um, we've kind of boiled it down into five steps. And uh, one of the first things is to understand your own cost as a purchaser of health care. You know, what are you paying? And that 
is, can be difficult. Um, it kind of goes back to what Lindsay was talking about, if you're self-insured or if you're not, if you have multiple different plans that you work with. Um, somehow, sometimes really getting the drill down of what you're spending your money on can be difficult, and that's why it's important to partner with your plan providers to really look at can you understand your costs. Maybe um, we can say it's, it's almost guaranteed to be difficult, but it's doable once you get into it. <laughs> okay. So don't be afraid to, to take the jump in. <laughs> Perfect. Voice of optimism. Thank you, thank you, Lindsay. So, yes, it's hard, but yes, it's doable. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, I mean, there are some things that we know about what drives costs. We know that the age of your population can drive costs, and we also know the number of chronic diseases can drive costs. And so part of that takes us to the next piece that you really want to get a good understanding around is the health of your employees and their families. You know, what is the current status? And that, again, you know, is, is quite variable from organization to organization. Um, relative to, you know, how many smokers do you have? Um, you know, do people have chronic conditions and those types of things? And so um, oftentimes using a health risk appraisal is a really good way of going about that, trying to understand the, the health of your employees. Um, if you can get as far as um, Bellin has where you can combine the health and the cost, that's ideal, but you don't have to be able to do that. You can learn a lot from, you know, getting the baseline of what your costs and your, and your general health status of your population is. Um, it's also important then to be able to drill down into your plan design and start to see are there some pretty quick wins you can get in terms of changing what's paid for, what what's not. Are there co-pays that are significant barriers to things you really want people to get? Um, and that can, that can be very complex, um, but there can also be very simple places to start, and you heard some examples of those already, taking away co-pays for um, recommended preventive screenings those types of things. Um, so then once you've kind of gotten the basic understanding of what's going on there, then we also talk about segmenting your population. Um, and, and when we segment the population, it can be by cost and or by health. And so you kind of understand that different subsets of your employees have different needs. And then you can start to tailor your programming to the needs of the various things, the various segments of your population. Um, and so if you have a population of very young young, child-bearing women, um, then there may be specific programming that you put together around around that. Um, And that can also um, lead to the last piece where we're talking about establishing a culture of health. Um, One of the things that I've um, heard about one of the best ways to establish a culture of health is to include your employees in your design so that they have an active voice in helping to determine what's going on and how we're going to implement this. We've also already talked about having your senior leaders be actively engaged so that they're role modeling. Um, And you've also heard many other suggestions about establishing that culture of health. We put that last, but in some ways I almost think that has to go first because that also helps with the employee acceptance and with really getting everyone on board. So those are kind of what we thought of as kind of five key steps and, you know, certainly Um, questions or if there's anything you think we missed. Yeah, definitely. And feel free to chat in any thoughts about that. And again, we put this on a slide. It's work in progress, so you want to get started. And we do hope um, you'll you'll take advantage of it. It's a good uh, document to get a discussion going uh, in in your own organization. Before we get some sort of final remarks from everyone, John, I want to just, uh, an awful lot of what we've been talking about today uh, will be uh, on the docket at IHI 
has um, some upcoming programming here. So uh, John's going to remind us of that. Yeah, thanks, Madge. Uh, employers, uh, like we talked about today, are taking steps uh, to grapple with the high cost of health care, um, and so are providers. Um, to help them make progress on both cost and quality, IHI is introducing a new seminar, From the Bedside to the Balance Sheet, Engaging Frontline and Finance Staff to Lower Costs and Drive Quality. This extensive seminar will provide your staff with the skills to improve clinical performance while lowering cost and the knowledge and tools to plan and build capacity for the future. Uh, the, the seminar will be held March 13th to 15th at Intermountain Medical Center out in Salt Lake City, but we'll uh, be holding a pre-seminar call next Tuesday, February 12th at 1 o'clock. And for more information, uh, pop over to IHI.org or email our friend Jesse McCall at jmccall at IHI.org. Okay, thanks so much, John. And that's 1 p.m. Eastern time. All right, uh, I'm going to go around the horn. I think we pretty much got some next steps from Trissa, uh, maybe Randy and Javier, and then Lindsay. Uh, Randy, what's next? You've got such an incredibly robust agenda. What, what should, How should we watch your space going forward? forward. <laughs> well, I, I just, you know, my comment is this work is just so important. When you really look at the impact you can have on individuals and families, it is, it is, it is really at the core of healthcare. So it's just great work to help move health in the right direction. Um, and, and, you know, we just continue to try to listen to our employees, get your employees involved, and celebrate the successes. And uh, if anyone's interested, you can go out to our uh, benefits webpage. I've opened up our Bellin uh, webpage for our personal benefits for our employees to everyone can look at. And I will, uh, I'll put that into the chat if anyone's interested go in looking right at that. Yeah, go ahead. And we can also capture that for the resource document uh, that we post uh, to the archive materials for the program. Thanks, Randy. Javier, uh, you're, you're at the early stages. We should come back and check up on how things are going. But uh, what, what, what do you uh, envision uh, right now uh, in, in the next uh, bunch of months? Well, I, I think we're certainly going to be continuing uh, this work with our employees and actually also starting our, our work with population health with our patients. Um, so uh, so I, I, I'm very excited. Again, this, this is uh, the way to really align our, our, our mission. And, and I think as we go forward into the, into the future, uh, I, I think all of our healthcare organizations really need to think that, you know, only about 10 to 15 percent of health is really affected by health care. Um, and we have to really look beyond the borders of our um, health care facilities and, 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 and clinics and really look at um, partnering with a community to really affect those things like education, nutrition, um, exercise that are such big determinants of health that have um, usually in, in the past been outside of, a, of, a, of medical care, of traditional medical care. Thank you so much, uh, Javier and uh, Randy. Lindsay, I think we're going to give you the last word. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. Uh, uh -huh. um, I think uh, at IHI, we hope that you start to follow us in our journey. IHI has actually taken a commitment to trying to figure out what this looks like for ourselves, and so we're going to start talking about that in a real way and making ourselves a prototype site for trying to see how you pull a system together to really make change and try to drive that reducing costs. So please do pay attention for that. And I think for any organizations that are really interested, kind of 
being being out there and, and getting real deep into the weeds, please do contact us and let us know. We're looking for very forward-thinking organizations who want to try testing with us um, and coming together in alliance with others in their organiz- in their area to drive down costs and improve health. All right. Thank you so much. So if you want to learn more about what uh, Lindsay is referring to and the way in which IHI is trying to identify more organizations that want to get into this uh, area, you can email info at IHI.org about that, and we'll pass that along to Lindsay Martin. So Lindsay Martin, Trisa Torres, Javier Sevilla, and Randy Van Stratton, I'm very, very grateful for your time and all the planning uh, that you put into this. I have to say one of the things that was occurring to me as I was listening to all of you is the difference of uh, for uh, all of us it all can kind of come around uh, if you are being treated in healthcare by somebody who's also uh, thinking a lot more about their health and their own wellness within an organization that has to be experienced all the way around as we think about helping people make decisions um, as opposed to only going from episode to episode or acute care to acute care so um, this is very eye opening for me so a big thank you to our audience today our guests uh, you can uh, look for some comments on IHI's Facebook page that kind of continues uh, perhaps you tweeted uh, we'd love to uh, hear what you're thinking about and what you got out of the program today as well on the 21st which is two weeks from now on WIHI we're going to continue talking about costs um, actually we're going to hear a little bit more uh, this uh, from the bedside to the balance sheet is, is part of what we're talking about but one of the ways we're going to talk about it is by harnessing some very interesting uh, cost reduction achievements from IHI's Impacting Cost and Quality Initiative. We've got a great cast uh, lined up for that on the 21st, uh, 2 p.m., uh, as always, and there's info on the website about that right now. Reminder, you can download the chat, any slides we used uh, today. You'll be prompted to do so. We very much appreciate it. If you could fill out the survey, let us know what worked for you, what you, what maybe didn't, and we're always striving to improve. By tomorrow morning, there will be an archive page of this program, the audio, any resources, slides, etc. You can also find all of this on iTunes. And uh, any questions whatsoever, in, email info at IHI.org. The people who help make WIHI possible are Mike Sweeney, Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morse, and Nicole Wells. And it's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patients care most of all for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Have a good day, everyone. Mm-hmm.